The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Ryan Parker. He is the creator and editor of Pop Theology. Ryan, thank you for joining the conversation. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So how does a kid from Brookhaven, Mississippi, end up in Los Angeles, California, writing about movies and shows and music? There's a lot of there's a lot of us out here, believe it or not. There's a whole Mississippi mafia out here. Um, actually, it was a long uh, path. I, I, like you said, grew up in Brookhaven, went to college at Mississippi College. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know of in Clinton, Mississippi. Um, while there became uh, part of Northside Baptist Church uh, there in Clinton, which kind of spurred a desire to go to seminary, uh, which I did at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. And when I was there, I took a class called Faith and Film. And the professor, like the first night of the class was a night class. And she said, you know, you're spending all your time reading this intense theology church history, these things, uh, we're going to watch movies and talk about them 
from a theological perspective. And I, it was the first time someone had really said that, like, that was a thing you could do. And I mean, I grew up all my life going to the movie theater in our small town and, you know, renting movies at the local video store. But to have someone intentionally say, this can be ground for theological reflection, spiritual formation, what have you. It was like a light went on for me. And um, I thought, well, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to try to make some sort of career out of this. And that took me to uh, grad school at the GTU, the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, did a PhD in film and religion. And uh, at least this is the the way I tell this story. Like 08 happened and just the higher education market, um, job market just changed. It felt like it changed overnight. And it it became clear that any sort of career in teaching that field was going to be largely through piecemeal, like adjunct. And it was just going to be a real hustle. Uh, and then, so my wife at the time, at that time said, uh, you know, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to struggle with this, why not go focus on the film side of the film and religion thing? So we moved to LA in 2013 uh, to work to, for, to try to start a career in film. And that kind of, that kind of was it lucked into, uh, I had an internship through this faith-based film producers program called act one, uh, which uh, I, we didn't know anybody when we moved to LA and it was a program that really like on, we took classes on Saturday on producing. And then throughout the week uh, we had an internship that they would help get for us. Uh, at different, you know, could work at different production companies, what have you. Uh, got my first job out of that, and then r- really lucked into meeting uh, the guy with whom I now work and doing uh, marketing and publicity for uh, to faith communities for films, and have been doing that for the last five or six years. So, kind of a long and winding road. Yeah. Well, as you said, you got this PhD in, in religion and arts, uh, you know, f- with a focus on film and religion. I'm just thinking of all my colleagues listening to this that did a doctorate in something really boring compared to pulling off that kind of PhD. So, you know, walk us through that experience because it sounds <laughs> it was amazing. A magic trick. I, I tell this to people all the time who are considering going to PhD programs. It, 99% of your PhD program depends on the relationship you have with your advisor. And I had a unicorn for an advisor. Uh, my, my PhD advisor was uh, Father Michael Morris, who is a Dominican priest. He died um, about three or four years ago, tragically, suddenly. And uh, he was a major, major influence on my life. I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing without him and his support. So I Googled, uh, you know, as you do, uh, when I was finishing seminary, uh, you know, film and religion, PhD, and like the GTU was one of the first things that came up because of him. So Michael had grew up in Southern California, um, had a, I think he had dual PhDs, one in art history, and then another in film. uh, And he would tell you, and he could do it beautifully. I can tell you the history of art from the beginning of, you know, history basically, until the 1900s, till 1905, visual arts, painting, sculpture, what have you. 
But at 1905, I switched to film because that becomes the dominant art form in human history. And then he could walk you through the history of cinema. So when I uh, started, you know, I was I could take classes at Cal on like proper film history, take art classes from him, religion and the arts. But he was as supportive as you could have imagined uh, an advisor being and a real champion and a cheerleader in what I was trying to do. And without that support, I think my pro, it would have looked kind of like what you're talking about, right? It would have been much more of a challenge to say to a room full of academics, hey, you should really be paying attention or you should let me research a Baptist church in Albany, Georgia, that's making movies uh, because they're, this is significant in the history of cinema. And he was, he was just fired up with this idea. Like as a Catholic, uh, you know, looking at these very conservative Protestants making, making film um, and, and releasing them in theaters and making millions of dollars. This was just a fascinating thing to him. And so to, to, situate that academically, historically, uh, critically, uh, he was completely on board. And I think that was just, that made all the difference in the world. We've translated into, uh, creating, editing and contributing to this thing called pop theology. Um, I think uh, we can say that the argument can be made that you are the antithesis of focus on the family. Uh, so, uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about how this got started. Yeah, I, you know, I started it when I was at the GTU and it was just a way to, I, I was just watching so much content and still do. And it was a way for me to kind of exercise these demons, so to speak, to say, like, I had all these ideas about the films I was watching and, and a, a very good friend of mine who has to be credited for much of carrying that flame for popiology for the last couple of years, Richard Lindsay, um, who's a professor in the Bay area, teaching film, uh, teaching religion and culture. Um, he would often send me stuff to post. And I thought, man, this guy should be writing for entertainment weekly. Just a great sense of humor, extremely smart, uh, great takes on culture and faith and things like that. And so we really just started writing. Then I started realizing I could get access to things early, early access to films, passes to festivals and things like that. So, and, you know, as a student with no money uh, or very little money, that was a, a great benefit. And so just really tried to keep it going from that perspective and, when we moved to LA and working in film, like to find the energy to kind of keep that up was, was, is still a challenge. Uh, and then my father passed away in 2018 and that obviously just kind of crushed a lot of creative juices. But over the last couple of months, we've really tried to pick it back up. Um, but for us, it was just to say, Hey, we could be a, and can be kind of a, a, a progressive faith, voice at the intersection of of culture and pop culture we're not the only people doing this i mean i think there are people who are do it more consistently i think we do it well um and it's always fun to see studios and content creators reactions to people like us to say um oh well i you know 
once at once at one time they thought it to check the religion box so to speak in terms of marketing or getting feedback from your films if rick warren signed off on your movie right you had a hit and i think what we've tried to show them uh from work through the work that we do with marketing and publicity and just with the voice through pop theology and other other outlets like it is that it's much more diverse than that and in fact it's that kind of mod as you were talking you and i were talking about before we started recording that moderate to progressive side is hopefully growing and becoming more uh accessible you know to to kind of the mainstream so you've covered music film tv video games and sports you know what's your angle what what are you hoping to give your audience this is a great resource for faith leaders, um, be it pastors, educators, uh, to, through which to engage their congregants, their communities, to engage culture for theological education, spiritual formation. And in some cases for us, it's just about cutting through the clutter to say, if we're, if we're writing about a, a film, chances are it, you should watch it that it's, we, you know, you talked about focus on the family for that audience. That's a good outlet because that audience wants to know what can I watch with my family? That's not going to offend me or do quote unquote harm to my children. And that's fine. That's just not what we're about. Um, I, I'm not about counting cuss words or boobs or anything like that. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff, that, that type of content, so long as it's not gratuitous, I think, um, some, some content is, and I just, I'm not going to write about that or promote that by telling people not to watch it. We're just not even going to talk about it. So the hope is that whatever you see on pop theology is worth your time. Uh, you may not like it, but it, at least maybe you'll say, Oh, I, you know, I appreciate that, but that's just not my thing. And we try to do that through our podcast, too, called Killer Serials, where we walk through a show episode by episode. Uh, most recently for us has been Rectify, which we're right in the middle of, which I think is one of the greatest television series of all time. I think it may be on my kind of Mount Rushmore TV. Um, but I know for the types of faith communities I've been involved in, in the South especially, this is a type of series that, they sh- that communities should be watching together. Um, and that it, it, to me, I, I watch every episode and it's like, oh, well, there's your Bible study for the week or what, or whatever you do. There's your, uh, a small group session for the week. Um, watch this and talk about it for 45 minutes it's, because it's that loaded with, you know, thematically narratively and the whole thing. So I don't know if we have an angle per se, it's, it's just, it's always been our intention to say like, let's just talk about good stuff. Like whether that is film, whether that is, I'd like to write more about sports. I think the moment that we find ourselves in is right for that. Well, it helps from your end that you know there hasn't been much in Mississippi sports-wise to write about for for decades. So you know, it's always helpful ah. to be. You know, go back to something you said earlier. I've always chuckled at like you know with focus on the family and go on the website and as you said, you can get a cuss word count. Um, you know, on a particular movie. And I just always imagine there's that like one person that's their job at focus on the families, like sit down with a pad of, you know, paper and we need you to tally every single cuss word and the type of cuss word that you hear in this movie, because we've got to let people know. Cause that's really what you're looking for in a movie is, 
if there's five, great. But if there's 25, not, not so much uh, as, as we watch this together. Uh, you know, sifting, sifting through your work, um, you don't tap into every hit show and movie. So how, how do you determine what you do want to cover? I mean, part of that was always for us like a matter of personal taste. The, especially around terms of uh, in terms of genre um so like i'm i'm on the fence with horror films some i can get into and some i i just i can't like the paranormal activity stuff like i just take it all too seriously <laughs> uh it, it's my brain works overtime after i see it but on the other hand something like the jordan peele style of horror thriller like a get out or an us i'm i'm all all in for um so kind of the superhero genre really into just because it's it, it's kind of the mythology of our time it seems um i think in terms of actors or directors certain actors or directors are always going to get my attention no matter what i think that's probably the same for folks that write a couple of people that write at Poppyology. So, um, and part of that too, is just the benefit of, especially the last few years working in this space of knowing kind of what's coming out, getting to see things early and saying, okay, well, I just know that we're not going to talk about that because it's just not that great. Or I can't wait for everybody to see this. You get a lot of that by going to festivals. It's really been a fun thing in the last four or five years of just kind of being able to go to these festivals and getting a sense of what's coming down the pipe. Professionally, that helps us in terms of like on the marketing side to know we can approach certain studios and say, Hey, we got to see this. This is going to be great. We think this audience is really going to resonate with it. Um, and then the other side, it's like, I can't wait for this to come out to talk about it and to share it with people. So, it, you know, the kind of stuff, it just kind of rises to the top if it doesn't come from a specific director or genre or whatever. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. As you alluded to before, one of the wings of Pop Theology is your your podcast, Killer Serials, and this is a a weekly conversation with your co-host, Tony Jones. How'd you get connected with Tony? I've known him for a long time. Uh, Back when I was working on my PhD, I was helping out Trip Fuller, um, who a lot of your listeners probably know through the Homebrew Christianity podcast. We, Trip and I, were overlapped. I, th- I believe it was one year in seminary, and we always stayed in touch. When I moved, when I was in grad school up in Northern California, he was working on his PhD at Claremont down here in Southern California. And then when we moved here in 2013, he was still here, so we spent some time together. Um, but I had met Tony at a, one of the conferences that Trip had organized i think it was back in 2010 maybe and i i don't know at what point we said like we should be writing about tv 
but there was a series that Tony and I were trying to get made and in a way still are trying to get made. His book, Did God Kill Jesus? I always thought it would make a great documentary. Um, there could be a great documentary around that or then potentially a docu-series. So we still kind of kick that around. But at some point, we just started writing about TV. We would email each other notes back and forth about shows that we were watching. And then we thought, well, everybody else is making podcasts. Why don't we? And so we morphed from you know, written essays to podcast conversations. And it, it all, I guess, felt very organic. We, got to, we actually got to work on a TV show very briefly out of that podcast, which was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, now we just, now it's like, Hey, let's just pick a show and talk about it and hope that, you know, it can be a resource for people at kind of at a, at a ministry level, um, or at the very least people who are liking that show can listen to us, you know, rattle on about it for 30 minutes. We've gotten to do interviews with some, some of the content creators that are affiliated with these shows. And, um, so really it's just kind of been, been like a little hobby, but obviously we're open to growing that and, and always trying to find new listeners. But for us, it's also just a fun way to connect each week about some of the stuff we're watching. So you said earlier, you're, you're covering rectify, which you, who you said earlier was it could potentially be on, on the Mount Rushmore of, of TV shows. So I guess it's important to know who else is on that, that, that mountainside that, yeah, it's it's new. It's always up for debate. And there's a go-to that people always have, like The Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Um, I, I, they, this isn't necessarily my personal, but they, these are ones that are always talked about. The Wire. Um, I think I think Rectify should be there. Um, but, you know, there are also some great older shows. I think that's a kind of – I forget – what podcaster uses this term, even if it, it, it may be more generic term, but, you know, recency bias, like we just, we, we hype the, the most recent thing that we watched, but I've been spending, um, every night before I go to bed during COVID, I've been watching an episode of cheers and I might would put that on Mount Rushmore. Certainly like the first five seasons or there's not a bad episode in the bunch. Um, but I would for sure put rectify. Personally, rectify would be that for me because I ha- I have seen few shows evoke a sense of place as powerfully as that that show does. And and of course, talking about like a southern setting. Um, yeah, I would think Breaking Bad personally would be there. Um, maybe not The Sopranos. The Wire would be there for sure for me. So that's what three, um, and then maybe Cheers just for fun. Well, I hear we could be adding a new face to Mount Rushmore, so you could add an additional show spot if you need to. So stop it. Yeah. So <laughs> you're saying I would need to add like, would it be like Honey Boo Boo or something? If we're talking about that fifth face, <laughs> like a show that would match what that face would look like. So we could just go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. Guilty yeah. pleasure TV. Yeah. So, so in all the series y'all have, uh, you know, zeroed in on for the podcast, uh-huh. is there any that y'all, you know, you picked and then you like, as soon as you got into the process, you're like, this show is awful, but we, we kind of have to continue because we committed to, to cover it in the podcast. 
Um, that's a really good question. I let's see. Tony talks about this all the time because we haven't been. Um, Rectify is a neat experience for us right now because the whole series is wrapped. You know, it it ended a couple of years ago, and so we're going through close like four or five seasons. A lot of the shows that we've done have been these Netflix series, which are, you know, six to eight episodes. Maybe they run one or two seasons. So that really hasn't been an issue for us. I think we've done a, a we've done a fairly good job of picking our spots, of get, having a sense of what uh, what works and, or what would work and what wouldn't work. There have been a couple of experiences, and I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the shows. I need to go back and look, or the series. But there have been moments where it's been a slog, like, oh, this episode just wasn't, there just wasn't a lot to talk about. But we kind of felt like, well, we're keeping up with, a, we got to do an episode per episode, or we were doing every two episodes or something like that. And you could really kind of tell, like, well, there's, there's just, let's, let's get through this episode. But then, you know, the next two episodes in the series might be fantastic. Um, and, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that just hasn't happened with Rectify. Um, we did most recently one that that the opposite was also true, where every episode was great. Was um, that series on Netflix, Unorthodox? I don't know if you've seen that, but um, about a, a woman who flees a very conservative Hasidic Jewish community in New York, and we we couldn't have we didn't have time enough. You know, we were always trying to say, let's keep these episodes to 30 or 45 minutes. I think we could have probably talked about that series for for days. So what I'd like for us to do is to step out on a ledge together and have a theological oh, conversation about a TV show or movie that you have not prepared for. So I'm going to present four options and you have to pick one. And for our audience, I'm, I'm just being a Whoa. jerk. I, I gave Ryan no foreknowledge. Stop it that I was going to do this. So, okay. So I'm going to give you four options and you got to pick one and you, you, you just oh, got to give us your hot take on the show. So I'm getting right, so nervous. Here, okay. Here are your four options. Um, they're safe picks. I think, uh, HBO's Perry Mason, uh, FX Ooh, is what yeah, we do in the that. shadows. Yeah. Uh, Hulu's Palm Springs or okay. Netflix project power. Let's go. Not series. Uh, let's go movie, Palm Springs, which I thought was the perfect COVID film or TV series that I've seen <laughs> so far. Yes. It's absolutely brilliant. And as you know, it's a take on a spinoff on Groundhog Day. But what if somebody had been living in Groundhog Day for thousands of years? And... I think the moment, the implication for our lives is the moment that we find ourselves in when many of us are still, if we're trying to practice uh, good, good um, COVID protocol, waking up every day at our home, again, staring down another day of very limited options, um, very limited distractions, and asking ourselves what matters in life. And... I think the show depicts that, I mean, the film, excuse me, depicts that brilliantly of even the most mundane things are worth it and that there can be meaning and beauty in it. 
that relationships are paramount, that people matter, that our relationships matter, uh, love matters. All these things that that tend to sound very trite and corny, somehow packaged in this film of of great humor, of beautiful cinematography, I I thought, this really clever storytelling, really, like, they really popped. It really worked and i think the moment made it you know we joked about another series like tiger king would tiger king have been tiger king without quarantine i'm not 100 percent sure it would have um but i think palm springs is a film that definitely is of the moment and there's no way they could have known that when they produced it but i think they they unlocked a genre that we don't often see done well which is kind of the rom-com um, they used Groundhog Day as a springboard and not as a, as a, you know, they weren't trying to imitate it. And I just felt it was just, it was well done. I think it's one that rewards multiple viewings. So, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. I mean, for me, yeah. that, that I was totally blown away that it was all about what do we value in life and how do we find that value? We have to point out that you're getting paid by the producers to give these uh, high praises for for this movie. Oh, no. I wish. Holy cow. I wish. Uh, so I, I'm going to be honest with you. When I saw the trailer, I love Andy Samberg, but I love Bill Same. Murray yeah. a lot more than I love Andy Samberg. Uh, like, it's it's okay. just not even a question. And I thought, you are totally ripping off groundhog day in the same way that the hustle this year completely ripped off dirty rotten scoundrels it was almost frame for frame the exact same movie with oh with wow but, okay uh so uh i think you're spot on now jk simmons was uh, by far the most underrated uh character in the movie but i'm gonna be honest with you uh uh Kristen, uh i'm trying to uh, remember her last name all i remember her as the, yeah she I, I always remember her as the lady that ruined the ending of how i met your mother and she almost oh I think wow she's, i think she's redeemed herself in my book uh with the the way that she led in this movie so uh hey good job i i put you on the spot i just wanted everybody to get a kind of a a deep breath of your work and and you succeeded uh in that so well, so a lot of churches the, you know, the intersection with film is through viewing our recent subpar quality Christianese movies or a sermon illustration from their pastor's favorite series. Of course, I am thinking about all of my church members who've ever had to suffer through Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, Breaking Bad, and so on types of, of illustrations. So, <laughs> you know, how should churches think about the intersection of, of film and faith? Um. You know what we what we tell have told people on the studio side is you should tar- you should be thinking about targeting quote unquote those communities uh, I say that broadly like uh, faith communities early for buy in and support word of mouth because they're already watching this stuff anyway so wh- if I would say to congregants it's like they're watching they're gonna go see the latest. Marvel movie, probably, you know, they're probably watching Game of Thrones. Um, there are probably countless folks on the family audience members, so to speak, who are watching Game of Thrones. And I think so for me, the encouragement would be to think. To to be open to thinking about what those shows have to say about the moment that that you're in 
about the human experience, about your own uh, theologies, your own spiritual formation. And I would also say, I would say then that's part of, look, that's this not the pastor's job to be a cultural critic, but they have to be culturally aware, I think. I, I think it would it would do, be a great service if a lot of our seminaries or more of our seminaries had kind of cultural literacy, pop culture literacy requirements, um, just because it's a matter of meeting your congregants where they are. And I don't know, I'm sure you could be an effective pastor without a Netflix password, but I don't know. I don't, I think you could probably be more effective if you had one. Um, and I would just say to, to take it seriously in terms of the opportunity there for those things. Um, I also, uh, I know there's, there was a book that came out a couple of years ago was, I forget uh, the author, uh, Entertaining Ourselves to Death or whatever. Um, it's just the breadth of content, so many hours of new series. And that sense of panic, like, oh, what am I going to watch next or whatever? I think there's a certain type of person feels that way. I know I do sometimes. Um, but a matter of like just picking your, making the making smart choices about how you're spending your time and what you're engaging. Is, you know, is Perry Mason worth the time? Is Palm Springs worth I mean, those are conversations that you could have as a family or as a community. But yeah, I think when I think about it, I just think of potential, right? Like the potential for these types of conversations we have talked about a series like when they see us right that it's one thing to it's one thing to watch a documentary about uh you know wrongful detainment for example or the the brokenness of our judicial system but it's quite another thing to watch when they see us which kind of narrativizes this experience of injustice in a way that's undeniable right that is very moving. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a long-winded non-answer. That's great. So when I was pastoring a new church start, one of our most successful small groups was a weekly gathering around um, watching the TV show, The Walking Dead. And I don't want to misconstrue uh, the perception of, of what we were doing. This was not, let's watch and then talk about the biblical impl implications afterwards. Uh, we just enjoyed mm -hmm. being together and watching this great show. You know, how, how have you it. seen the church creatively use film um, as a medium for community and for spiritual formation? Well, I, I'll tell you two, a couple things. Um, one of the, one of my kind of heroes in this world is Keith Anderson, who's a pastor, Lutheran pastor, who wrote a series called with a, a colleague of his uh, called the OA for Lent, which was a show, a Netflix series, very kind of uh, mystical, supernatural show, uh, just loaded with spiritual themes, philosophical themes. And they did a, you know, a weekly Lenten series around this show. And uh, I, I, when I teach a class, I teach a class on digital faith formation and, I reference it every year as just really good way that at a medium website, that a website through medium uh, with downloadable discussion guides and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was very good. That's a different thing, right? That's more what you were talking about, like the, the theological or biblical implications. I still think that's, you know, the opportunities for doing that are unlimited just because of all the, 
number of series out there. But in the work that I do on the marketing publicity side, there's a church that we work with in Southern California that we give them early access to a lot of the films that we work on. And they just get together and watch a movie and they have a movie night. And they love it. Their, their families love it. Uh, their, their leaders love it. And it's, it, it's no expectation. Like you were saying, they just show up together and do, do this event as a community. There's no, you know, there's, I don't think there's like prayer time or anything like that. There's no official discussion time. They just do this together. And, you know, during quarantine, I felt like this is what I've missed most about the faith community that we're, I'm part of is just being together. Like we've, we kind of hit the lottery. We found this amazing faith community here in LA with incredible people and, what we really miss is just being with those people on a weekly basis in our, in our worship service before, during, and after. Um, and, and just that the kind of practice of presence. And so I think you're right. I think uh, coming together around a film or around a series. And I love the idea of doing that around a series because you could do it on a weekly basis. Um, there's something about, I, I was part of this group, for a while called level ground, which is about trying to use art to, or using art to increase empathy. And the director would talk about how, if you look at um, what happens in a theater or what happens in an art gallery, you have two people who are looking away from each other. They're looking straight ahead at a screen or an object, but inevitably there's a moment when they turn to each other and talk about what that, is to them or what that means to them and how that moment of turning to each other is very, very powerful or potentially uh, loaded with opportunity and just creating those spaces where that could happen. I think like you're talking about getting together around a, a series or a thing like that, just it kind of fertilizes that ground for that. And it, and it could just be like, Hey, laughing. We watched a, we watched a funny movie. We don't have like, the laughter was it, right? There's no higher message. So when I think about I love churches, it. I wish more churches would do it. Yeah. Yeah. When when I think about churches talking about music and TV and 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 film, it's typically a critique of these things. Again, here are the cuss words and nudity count in this particular movie. I, I still kind of chuckle at you know whoever at Focus on the Family had to review Pulp Fiction and, and count the number of cuss words in that movie. But you, you did a mm -hmm. piece recently on the history of um, nudity in in movies, and you wrote sexuality in American mm -hmm. film is not treated like a normal part of human life but a burlesque sideshow, an opportunity for titillation, exploitation, and just plain violence. How can mm. churches uh, create meaningful dialogue, um, not in a, a necessarily a critique of um, film or music or music, but, but to consider about how they can dialogue about the, the things that film tends to highlight and unveil about our culture? I don't think they can. I mean, I, that's a very blunt answer. I, I joked about this some time ago. Uh, ch the churches can't talk about sex in movies because they can't talk about sex in life, period. Like, we, we have such, we, we carry so much baggage around sex and sexuality. 
that I think there has to be a whole uh, kind of a, maybe a wholesale reimagining of how we engage human sex and sexuality in church before we can even begin to speak about it in film or critique it effectively. Uh, and maybe the part of this equation should be flipped, right? Where maybe we should be watching content or listening to content from a quote unquote secular perspective for what it can teach us about or what it says to us about human sexuality. I think about a show like sex, sex education on Netflix, uh, for example, potentially having that as something to discuss with teenagers and sexuality, sex and sexuality. But I, I think it's, there's got, there's got to be a way in which we can wrap our heads around that part of humanity better than we have done. Do you, right? I don't know. Am I, I, I maybe just get too preachy. No, I, I, I think that, you know, <laughs> Uh, churches tend to, and I, I remember this because I actually, you know, kind of a, am a, like a uh, a graduate of this particular perspective into film. Like I remember hosting in college, like uh, let's have a movie night and talk about the the biblical themes that work here and like the clear, you know, line between this and this passage in scripture, you know, that kind of thing. And it's always, you know, like kind of a, a comparative theology, if you will, versus uh, a thematic and real life perspective um, into the theology of being human uh, and the dynamics that are at work. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think churches and clergy have to reimagine um, how we um, ingest, you know, the, the art of film and TV, but also how we, um, how we talk about these things um, you know, as a faith community, which is why I think your work is, is so important um, in helping, uh, you know, give an example to, to all of us um, as to, uh, you know, maybe a different way of approaching um, than we have had before, if that makes any sense. I want to be, yeah, I want to be clear too. Like I, you know, I think sex education, there would be a lot of people who would just immediately be turned off of that because of uh, the depictions of sex and sexuality. Um, and, that's fine. That's to, to each their own. I, I, I still think it's an appropriate resource for an appropriate age group. And look, I don't think a six-year-old should be watching Pulp Fiction. Uh, so I do want to say that I still believe, you know, there are some, some caveats about how we navigate culture and what we consume and at what age. But, you know, I talk about like trying to rethink, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I think it's kind of emblematic of other issues uh, or other themes that the church is engaging. But e at each kind of educational phase of my life, it felt like the setting that I was in and the school I was in was just more and more progressive. And uh, I was always like navigating, okay, how am I deconstructing and reconstructing what I, what it is I believe. And I remember in the early days at Graduate Theological Union, there was a lecture and I forget the, um, the, prof the visiting professor's name, but the, the advertisement was for a lecture on a gay Christian sexual ethic. And I was like, well, I, I want to go hear what this person has to say. This is, could potentially be really fascinating and helpful. And I remember going with Richard, who uh, writes on our website, too. And we, we left that uh, – we left that 
lecture at, and Richard said that was neither gay, Christian, or ethical. Like there's got, there's gotta be, some, there's gotta be something better. Cause the, what the tone that we walked away was just kind of like, well, as long as, you know, both parties are consenting, you know, uh, and I was, I was like, there's gotta be a little bit more new nuance on how we navigate what that is. And uh, again, so for me, that was an example of like on the, on the, let's go far left. We don't even really know how to talk about this, uh, how to express what it is, uh, how this shapes our view of, of sex and sexuality. Um, yeah. So I think there's across the board, there's opportunity for improvement. Well, if you want to stay connected with Ryan, you can visit poptheology.com. Of course, follow Pop Theology on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Ryan, thank you for bringing a fresh theological perspective into the art of entertainment. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in the